Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it's really helping you grow in the Lord. But I just wanted to take a second just to talk about this great tool that I've been using to bring the Word of God to people. Anchor is a tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot more. So it's really been helping me reach people that I can't go to their house and actually teach them a Bible study. So it's everything you need in the podcast in one place. The best of all, Anchor, and it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan. Once again, I'm excited to be going into the Word of God with you amazing people right now. Today, we're going to be doing a great Bible study, showing us who God tells us He is, the great I Am. So, let's open our Bibles and get started. Genesis chapter 17 is where I'm going to be beginning. And this is a story where God changes the name of Abram to Abraham. So apparently, we're going to see here that it matters to God what we're called and what he calls himself. So starting in verse number one, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. So that's the first thing that we see in the Bible that God refers to himself as. God walked and talked with Cain and Abel and Adam in the Garden of Eden and talked with Noah. But this is the first place where he actually says who I am. He says, I am God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations, and I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you. From generation to generation, this is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. So here, God changes Abraham's name when he starts a covenant with him. It was important to God what Abraham was called, and it was important to God what he was called. He said, I am the Almighty, and I am your God, and I will be your descendants, God, and you will be called Abraham. So again, it just shows us the importance that God puts on what we're called and who he's called. Now let's go to Genesis 35, and we're going to see some more examples of that here with Jacob and his return to Bethel. I'm going to start in verse 9. Now that Jacob had returned from Panamram, God appeared to him at Bethel. God blessed him, saying, Your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel. So God renamed him Israel. Then God said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply, and you will become a great nation, even many nations, and kings will be among your descendants, and I will give you the land I once promised to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants after you. Then God went up from the place where he had spoken to Jacob. So here, the first thing again God does with Jacob is he changes his name to Israel. It was important that he be known as Israel. And God again confirms that I am El Shaddai, the God Almighty. 
So now let's go to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read about Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush. One day Moses was tending the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flocks far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God, where the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared at the bush in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't the bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I have heard their cries of distress because of their high slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is the land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevitites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. And Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, God of your ancestors has sent me, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? So here even Moses is recognizing that it matters what God calls himself and what we call God. God cares about what he calls us. When he created man, he said, it is good. Creation was good. Satan is the one who always says that we're bad. God says it's good. And what he says matters. When he called the people Israel and that they were his people, that mattered. He was saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. But here, God replies to Moses, I am the I am. Saying this to the people of Israel, the I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent you. So I was praying and thinking about this when he says the words, the I am has sent you. What was he really saying by that phrase the what God was trying to express to Moses here is that I am tells you that I exist tell them that the God who really exists the God who is the God who is present in our lives today a real God not a fake false not real God but the almighty the most powerful being that's ever existed, Yahweh, God, has sent you. So it's important here that God refers to himself as the I am, because what God says he is matters. If God says, I am the Almighty, that matters that we understand that he has all of the might. He is all-powerful. He wants us to acknowledge that when he calls himself that. So we're going to be going through the Bible here and see other places where God refers to himself as something and what that is is important for us in our Christian walk today. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1 and we're going to see where an angel of the Lord comes to talk to Joseph about marrying Mary because he, he was a good man, she was pregnant, so he's having trouble with it. So here an angel shows up 
and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her is conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. So it was important. The angel wanted him to know. You have to name him Jesus. It's important what you call him. For he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, the angel refers to Jesus as Emmanuel, and the prophets of old referred to him as Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. It was important for us to understand that Jesus was God. So let's flip forward a little bit here to chapter 16. Verse 13, Then Jesus came to the region of Syria, Philippi. He asked them, Who do people say the Son of Man is? So here Jesus is already showing you guys. It matters what people say, who you are. So who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Then, then Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. So here Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter because he acknowledged who God is. It's important for us to realize who God is. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So God rewards Peter here for acknowledging correctly who God is. He changes his name, gives him a more solid name, and he gives him the keys to the kingdom to allow what we allow on earth and to forbid what we forbid on earth. Now let's go to the book of John, because right in the beginning of John, he tells us a lot, starting with verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about that light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who was the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came into his own people, and even they re rejected him. But to all who believe him and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting in human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So, right there in the beginning of the book of John, it tells us who God is. Jesus is God wrapped in flesh. He was with God, he was God, and then he became human. Now, turn with me to the book of John, chapter 4. We're going to pick up here in a conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Let's start in verse number 4. He had to go through Samaria on his way. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily 
beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So here we go. Jews did not refer to Samaritans very well, and it matters. But let's see how Jesus treats her. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So she, the first thing she does is call Jesus a Jew. And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. So Jesus says, if you knew who I was, if you wouldn't have just called me a Jew, you would have actually called me the son of God. You would have get a gift from God. But sir, <laughs> you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and the well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? So here she's like, I don't know what you're talking about, buddy, but I don't see who you really are. And besides, do you think you are greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become very thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Wow, he's talking about the Holy Ghost here. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here and get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Then Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, and you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Yes, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me. So here she goes, okay, well, you're not just a Jew. Now you're a prophet. You're getting better, woman. Just keep going. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim that it is here on Mount Gazreel, where our ancestors worshiped? And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming indeed, and here it is now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So we're to worship God in truth, knowledge, knowing who he is. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, and none of them had the nerve to ask, What were you talking to her? Or why were you talking to her? And the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back into the village telling everyone, Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Wow, he just told you he was the Messiah. And it's important that we understand who he is. Now let's jump forward a couple pages to chapter 6, starting in verse 32. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses did not give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who came, comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. 
For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. For this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all of those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is God's will that all who have seen his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Then the people began to murmur and disagree because he had said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? So here he's telling them who they are and they're arguing with him. We know his father and mother. How can he say I come down from heaven? But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I, who was sent from God, have seen him. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I offer so the world may live, is my flesh. So here Jesus is claiming to be from heaven, to be God wrapped in flesh. Now let's go to... Chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So knowing who God is sets us free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I'm telling you that what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied. For if you were really children of Abraham, you would follow my example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. And Jesus told them, if God were your father, You would love me because I came to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I am saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do evil things as he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies so when i tell you the truth you just naturally don't believe me which of you can truly accuse me of sin and since i am telling you the truth why don't you believe me anyone who belongs to god listens gladly to the words of god but you don't listen because you don't belong to god and the people retorted you samaritan devil didn't we say long ago that you were possessed by a demon? No, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I honor my father and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teachings will never die. And the people said, now we know he's possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died. And you say, anyone who believes my teachings will never die. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? What a good question. If they only knew. And Jesus answered, If I want to glorify myself, it doesn't count. But it is my Father who will glorify me. You say, He is our God. 
but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be a greater liar than you. But I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, You aren't even fifty years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. So they picked up stones to throw it at him because he said, I am. He used the very words that were used at the burning bush when he said, tell them the I am sent you. So now let's just keep reading into chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blinded from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why is this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spat in the ground, made mud with his saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes, and told him, Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. So here, Jesus is the light of the world, which gives us sight and allows us to see right from wrong and how we should live our life in this world. But also here, Jesus is a miracle worker. He is a God who heals. He is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what he did in the Old Testament, he does today through the believers in the church. So let's continue in chapter 10. We're going to see some more where Jesus says, I am. This is who Jesus says I am. Starting in verse 1. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They don't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pasture. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. A hired man runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Jesus says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Everything that the devil does in our lives is to steal and to kill and destroy us. But Jesus is the good shepherd that came to give us life, an abundantly rich life. So here's Jesus saying, I am your shepherd. Now a shepherd, if you study into what a shepherd really is, it really expounds on who Jesus is. Because he literally walks beside us through life, guiding our path and leading our footsteps through the Holy Spirit. So he is definitely our good shepherd. But let's go on to the next chapter, chapter 11, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. We're going to pick it up in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask for. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. 
And yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of the God, the one who has come into the world from God. So Jesus says here, I am the resurrection and the life. Again, the opposite of what the thief is come to do, which is steal, kill, and destroy. God comes to give life and life more abundantly. So people who are dying from alcoholism or from drugs, God is the life that can resurrect them from that life of death and give them a life that's more abundant. All right, now let's go to the next chapter, chapter 13. And this is where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. So starting in verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I am doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So he says, I am your teacher and your Lord. God showed us things to do. Now, and here he's, he's showing them to wash each other's feet, which I grew up in a church that had foot washing communion services. I don't know if that's exactly what God was talking about so much as he was talking about serving and caring for the ones that are around you. Bringing somebody food who doesn't have food or helping somebody with a car issue is more of washing someone's feet that I think Jesus was talking about here. However, I still participate and wash people's feet in services and I think it's a great way to humble ourselves and show our obedience to the word. But I believe that it's more important that we serve the people that we come in contact with in life. And that's what, that's what Jesus was pointing out here. Like, it is our job to treat people like Jesus would treat them if he was here. And now let's continue to chapter 14, where Jesus is going to show us some more about who he is. Starting in verse number one, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So there's no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. It's very clear here. That's the exact opposite of many paths that lead to God. There are not many paths to God. Straight is the way, and there is a narrow path, and few that find it. If you have already known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him and Philip said of course right after that Philip comes in Lord show us the father and we will be satisfied now watch Jesus's tone with him here and Jesus replies have I been with you all this time Philip and yet you still don't know who I am anyone who has seen me has seen the father so why are you asking me to show him to you don't you believe that I am the, in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe because the work you've seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works 
because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so the Son of can bring glory to the Father. So ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. God is a God who answers prayers. He is the I am of answering prayers. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So he's saying he lives with you now. He's referring to himself. He's saying, you know the Holy Spirit because I am the Holy Spirit and I'm living with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Wow. So he is our Holy Father. This is Jesus saying, I am your father. You're not going to be orphans. You're going to be my children. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father and that you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? And Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who has sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, it is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. You cannot find peace in this world. So don't be troubled and afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. So in all the great things that Jesus is, and he's telling us, I am. He says we will do the same things and greater once we're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why it's important for us to seek after the Holy Spirit and to be filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Now let's go to chapter 18. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kindred Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now, with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully recognized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? he asked. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he. Jesus said now I've always been taught that that he has been added that's why it's squiggly in your Bible there in verse number five so originally Jesus answered the same way the burning bush answered Moses and said I am Judas who betrayed him was standing with them as Jesus said I am they all drew back and fell to the ground once more he asked them, Who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. And he told them, I told you that I am he. And since I am the one you want, let these ones go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those that you had given me. 
So when Jesus said, I am, it was so powerful that all of the Roman soldiers fell to the ground like they were dead. Jesus had to ask him again, who are you here for again? Jesus of Nazareth, I am the I am. Hallelujah. So now as we're going through this Bible study, we're hearing that God is a healer and God is a shepherd and God is the life and the way. We often hear in church, you know, God, God can do anything, but he, you know, he's not, it's his will. And if he's not willing, then we just got to wait until God's willing to do these things for us. But right here, if we look in our Bible, you can go to Mark 141, or you can go to Matthew 8, 3, or you can go to Luke 5 and 13, because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, all things are established. And in all three of those places in the Bible, Jesus confesses, I am willing. So anything that we're going through today, we need to believe in our hearts and know that God is willing to do what the Bible promises us that he will do. He's not a God who doesn't care. He is the great I am. And he is everything that this Bible promises us he is. He is the healer. He's a redeemer. He's the one that gives us a life that's more abundant. He's a God who can resurrect our life out of sin and death and set us on a straight path. He is the way. He is the shepherd. He is a great God that we serve today. And it's awesome to know that he is willing to be that God in anyone's life who chooses to believe in him. And not only will he be your God and savior, but he will come and make his home inside of you and empower you to do greater things than he even did. So just a couple more scriptures here before we wrap it up, but let's go to Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So more importantly, Jesus is the Lord of everything. He was seated in a place of high honor and given a name above every name. Everything has to bow to the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's something for us to remember because this is what the Bible declares about God. God can say, I am a God that is above every other thing that's ever been created. I am the almighty, the all powerful. Nothing else on earth can make that claim. No other God can claim to be the most powerful being that's ever existed. There's only one, Yahweh, King Jesus. All right, well, let's end this with reading from the last book in the Bible. Let's turn to Revelations chapter one. Starting halfway through verse 4. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, the one who always was, and the one who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all of the kings of the world. So even today, Jesus is still over all the kings of the world. He didn't give up that throne. He's still the king of kings. People forget about that, like he ain't running the world still. But he's still over the kings, because all authority comes from him. Continuing here, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is still to come, the Almighty One. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom, and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Samaria, Pergamum, Tydera, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Sorry, I wish those had normal names, but... <laughs> When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest, and his head and his hair were white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flaming fire, and his feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death and the grave. Now let's go to chapter 2, starting in verse 24. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Tartara who have not followed this false teaching. Deeper truths, they call them, depths of Satan, actually. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end. To them I will give authority over all the nations, and they will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my Father, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Now let's skip to chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do. And I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love, because you have obeyed my command to persevere. I will protect you you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens in the city of my God the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying. And one final verse that we want to read today to conclude all this is the final chapter of the Bible, Revelations 22. We're going to start in verse 10. Then he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm, and let the one who is vile continue to be vile. 
Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. And let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gate of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshippers, and all those who love to lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to come give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heirs to his throne. I am the bright and morning star. And I can't wait for that bright and morning star to rise one day and bring us all home. So that should wrap up our time here together. So let's end it in a moment of prayer, spending time with our Heavenly Father. So bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much, God, for spending time with us and wanting a relationship with human beings. So much so that you wrapped yourself in flesh and came to the earth and died so that we could have a relationship with you, God. We don't want to take lightly who you are. We want to read this Bible and see who you claim to be, God, and to worship you for being that God. We praise you so much for showing us a little bit about your character today, and we thank you for allowing us to spend time with you. We worship you and we love you so much, God. Bless everybody who's listened to this message, Lord. Let them see who you are that they can feel your loving arms wrap around them and that they will know who you are in a mighty way today, God. We worship you and love you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So thank you, everybody, for joining me again. I can't wait to do it again. So until next time, God bless you.